It's an honor and a blessing to be here today, and uh, I think for some reason this Christmas season is a little more, I don't, sentimental is not the right word. I don't know what it is, but I'm, it's, this isn't the right phrase either, but it's all I have right now. I'm taking this one a lot more serious, seriously than I have in the past. And it's funny, as I was preparing and studying for the message today, which will only be three and a half hours, I promise, I went down, sometimes I go down these bunny trails of Bible study, that I guess I call them, where there's something that's been on my mind for a long time, and it really is like taking a journey with my father and walking down a path, like on a mountain or a forest, and he shows me things. He's like, I know you've always wanted to explore over here, so let's walk over here and let me show you some stuff. And something that's been on my mind since I was a kid was this idea or this question of why did there have to be a baby born? And I don't mean from an awe, cute, adorable aspect. I mean technically. Like we know what Jesus came to do, right? Or some of us, maybe, maybe not all of us. He came to, there's no right answers, just shout it out. Save us. Okay, I guess there are technically right answers to this. But I've always wondered why did it have to be a baby? And why did he wait so long? And why did the baby have a name and different titles and labels and all this stuff. And I, I couldn't figure it out, like, why it had to technically be a baby. And so I want to talk about that a little bit as I wander in my short area here. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a wanderer, so I apologize if I, like, take two steps and then abruptly stop and look down and come back here. Bear with me. But I've always wondered this. And then he said, okay, let's talk about that. And he didn't give me an answer on that question right away. He told me to do a different path. Emmanuel which means God with us. And I had no idea the depth of that. And so I was praying about this, thinking about this. Why did there have to be a baby? What's up with Emmanuel, God with us? And then it's like, I'm going down this path with God. Okay, I want to explore this path. And he's like, okay, cool, let's go over here instead. So we ended up in Genesis, looking at the creation of the world. You guys ever read the creation stories in Genesis? It's kind of fun stuff, and it's kind of sometimes weird at times, but one thing I noticed, which I've known this for a long time because I grew up in the church. I know all this stuff, guys. I don't have any more questions about the Bible. I grew up in church, so I know everything. So I shouldn't even have to ask God questions like this, but here I am still asking questions. But I noticed something in Genesis and I want to see if you guys catch a theme here. So Genesis 1, 21 through 22. I apologize, it's probably not on the screen. You're going to have to write these down and look them up at home to see if I'm lying or not. Genesis 1, 22. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves. And the waters abounded according to their kind. And every bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then in verse 24 and 25, we see he brought forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to its kind. And so it was. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. I'm kind of being a little subtle with the point here. According to its kind. And God saw that it was good, meaning it was correct, it was working properly, not just, I like it this way, but things are functioning properly as they are supposed to. So from the creation of the world, 
things, and this is a, a physical, mental, spiritual law established by God the Creator. Things can only reproduce after their own kind. That's all that they can do, whether it's animals or people or seeds. I talk about um, this um, faith as a mustard seed, and one example I use is, is in making the point of what they're trying to convey here. We're not talking about this today, but I watched a time-lapse video of a mustard seed growing, and it was really cool, but not once during that process did I think, I wonder if this is going to turn into an airplane. It's a mustard seed. All it can do is produce a mustard tree or a mustard bush. It's not turning into an apple tree. It's not going to make mangoes. It can only reproduce after its kind. The problem with that is in the garden, which most of us probably know this story, something bad happened. And then sin and death entered the world, entered mankind. Now, if you have human beings that are now fallen and possessed by sin and death, they can only reproduce more human beings that are condemned to death and full of sin. That is a law established by God the Creator, and His Word does not come back void, meaning it's there. And I don't think we understand how terrible of a thing that is. And I know it's Christmas Day, so I shouldn't even talk about negative things, but for me there was this problem of Sometimes it's hard for me to appreciate something that I didn't experience the downside of first. You know what I mean? Is that just me? I don't think it is just me because I've spent five minutes looking around the world and realizing that people do not appreciate things in a natural sense if they didn't have to go through the pain to make it happen. Even just, and I, this isn't a political thing, but let's say you have a nation that was established on freedom and literal wars were fought, and people actually died just to have the right to be free from oppression. But then generations later, later, well, what's the big deal with oppression and oppressive people? I mean, they probably want what's best for us, right? No, but we don't have an appreciation for that because we're not the ones that had to die to make it happen. We're not the ones that said, I would rather die on a boat in the ocean than live under this person. That's kind of extreme. Most of us are so passive, we won't even say if the ham's overcooked or not. It's not going to be overcooked. It's going to be delicious. But the depravity that was going on at that time. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, it talks about how mankind was so, so wicked that not only did, not only did we attach ourselves and do wicked things, but mankind constantly invented new ways of being evil. Like the heart of man was completely wicked, so bad. Now think of what it means to actually be full of sin and death. Some of us who have been saved our entire lives, it's hard for us to understand and comprehend what that even feels like. But to know that there was a time where all the earth was so full of sin and death, all that they did was evil. All they thought about was evil. How can I do more evil and cause more harm and more murder and more terrible things? In fact, in Paul, Paul's writings in Romans, he kind of makes this picture that at that time, the best you could hope for was that you understood God's law was holy and you tried your best to uphold it, but you found that in your body and in your mind at that time, 
There was this thing called sin and death that compelled you to wickedness, and you could do nothing about it. That's the best you could hope for at that time. And there was so much evil in the world. It was really bad. It was dark. And the more I think about it, if you actually take that seriously, that's hard to even think about because we don't want to think like that. We have a good world we live in. We have a wonderful life we live. We don't want to think about negative things. It's funny. Um, My wife might roll her eyes at this, but we're listening to some books on tape with our kids. And some of the older books that were probably better, they go through like positive things and negative things. Like a book might tell a story and the family has a dog and the dog dies at some point. And my reaction is, why would they put that in a story? That's so sad. Well, sometimes life happens. And we can just pretend that nothing bad happens in life. And then when our children are grown, they leave the house to find out, oh, wait, there are bad things out here. And I have no idea how to handle them emotionally. But anyways, in Romans 5, it says this. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And after Moses, there was a bit difference. The law came in, but sin and death still reigned. And I don't even mean from our actions as mankind. It wasn't that we did bad things, and if we just stopped doing the bad things, things would have been fine back then. It was our very being was evil. Your identity, your state of being for all of us, was full of sin and death. Now there's something that God mentions in Genesis 6, 3. I'm going to briefly mention this and then we'll come back to it. So keep it in the back of your minds. In Genesis 6, 3, God says this, My spirit will not strive with man forever because he is flesh and his days are numbered. Now there's some different translations that will say my spirit will not abide in man, strive with man, compel man, or adjudicate over man. It's, it's actually a very difficult word in the Hebrew to, to translate in that context. And some of the translations will actually put a little asterisk and say, we're not sure exactly what this means, but here's our best guesses. But what it's getting across is there's a relationship. So my spirit cannot relate to mankind forever. Why? Because He's fallen flesh. And some translations it says because of the error of their flesh. Because flesh in itself is neither holy or sinful. It's a thing. Now at that time, all of flesh and all of mankind was full of sin. And because we were full of sin, death came in, which means our days were numbered. And now think of this from a technical aspect, because this is so cool. He's talking about a technical aspect, not an emotion of, I'm so mad because mankind sinned and so I'm going to leave them. I don't want to be around them. My spirit doesn't want to be around them. He's actually, the way it looks to me in the Hebrew when I translate it, it looks like a technical aspect that he is just declaring this is what it is. Like, my spirit cannot dwell in man because they die. They die because of sin, because the wages of sin is So because of sin, we end up dying. And that's the reason that his spirit could not dwell with us, because eventually we're going to die. Now, Jesus actually hints back at this in um, when he's talking to the woman at the well. And this, I thought this was awesome. When Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, 
Some of you know this story. And she says, well, our people worship here, and you guys say we're supposed to worship here, and, you know, who really knows? And Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Why did he say that? Because spirit, God, is eternal. Mankind, because of sin, temporary. We have an expiration date. It's a technical aspect that we cannot relate to God at that time because we end up dying. So even if you're here for 120 years, you can worship him with your body for 120 years, but you die. And then it's over. And the relationship cannot continue. There is no more bonding or abiding there. That's why the worship of God has to be in spirit because you could be the best worshiper with your body and your mind for 100 years, 120 years, and then it's done. It's like if my wife and I had our marriage last a minute and a half. Not a, we wouldn't really call that a relationship, if we're honest. Because it's, it's done. It's finite. And all of mankind was bound to this. And so I'm looking through all this, and I'm like, great, this is a weird Christmas thing, God. And then he brought me back to Emmanuel. And why a baby had to be born. Because Emmanuel means God with us. And it does not mean, in the definition of that word, with, it doesn't, like the way we use the word together, it doesn't mean together. It's in the definition, but that's an older way of using the, the phrase together, or the idea of being together. The way we talk about being together, that's not what this word means. It doesn't mean I'm nearby, because for most of us, maybe not most of us, maybe just some of us, at times we've looked at life and we've seen this, God with us, which means God's around me. Great. It doesn't matter because he's not doing anything, if we're being honest. I don't, I don't really care if God's around because nothing's happening because of his presence. If my kids are being attacked and I'm around them, but I don't fight with them and fight for them, what are they going to think of me? That I'm useless. That I'm either unwilling or unable to be with them and assist them when they need something. And a lot of us have seen God with us. That's what it means. Because it means he's here. He's around us. But there's so much going on that he's not doing anything about. That his presence is therefore impotent or void or not really meaningful. But that's not what it means. Here's how the word is used in Hebrew. When David's facing Goliath, and I love this, when David's facing Goliath, and it says Goliath looked at him and he's like having disdain on him, the like isn't in the Hebrew, but he's having disdain on him for he's young, and it says he was ruddy and good looking. That's the word, and, with, the same word in Hebrew, M. There's a connection point that that word makes where it's not Ruddiness is over here, and good-looking is over here. There are two technically separate characteristics that inhabit David, and you cannot separate them from his being. David is ruddy, and he is good-looking at the same time. Those characteristics make up his being, who he is, and you cannot separate them even though you can technically see the difference. Does that make sense? That's what the word actually means. Now, it's one thing for us to know what a word means. It's another to see how it's actually demonstrated. Because if I say, I love my wife, I love our dog, there better be some difference in that word. But I'm using the same word. 
And sometimes I'm so upset at how we, and I include myself in this, have butchered language because we use some words that have a depth and we waste them to where they mean nothing. But here's how the Bible, I'm going to give a couple quick examples of this, what it actually looks like, the demonstration of God being with someone. This is one of my favorite ones. In Exodus 3.12, God talking to Moses, he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And we think, okay, cool. God's going to be around Moses like he's the bouncer behind him. So Moses, you go out there, you say some words, and I'm going to be, I got your back. But, but not really. Here's the demonstration of this in Exodus 14. So remember, God's with Moses. Actually, let me throw this in here in Exodus 7. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Pastor Tim is going to have to explain that one more so people don't get weird with it, but God says, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. I'm just leaving that can open there. So Moses, when people see Moses, when Pharaoh looks at Moses, he's like, that's God. Again, there's context to that. Moses is not God. We are not God. Exodus 14. So God said he's with Moses. I will be with you. So when the Israelites get to the Red Sea, the Lord said to Moses, because they're all freaking out. They're like, um, there's water here and we can't swim across this water. There's an army behind us. You guys know this story. And they're freaking out. And Moses is like, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And God says, why are you crying to me? You tell the children of Israel to go forward. You lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. God being with Moses was not, Moses, when you face a problem, hand it to me, I'll take care of it. Because you're just this weak, pitiful thing and you can't really do much for yourself. It was, I am with you, so here's a problem you're facing, you part the sea. You tell the children to walk through. And I'll show you how to do that. Now, again, it was the power of God that split the sea. We get that. I'm just trying to show a picture of how that word or that concept of God with us is demonstrated in the word of God. He also says it to Joshua. In Joshua 1.5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with, same word, Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. As powerful as this is, throughout the entire Old Testament, all we get are glimpses and types and shadows of what it looks like when God is with someone. That is a temporary thing that happens to someone because the identity and state of being of mankind is fallen, sinful, dead, expiration date on you. You cannot change that because you have been born from Adam. You can't change that. You were born of the kind of Adam, which was fallen and sinful. That's the state of mankind. All we can get through the Old Testament, millions or billions of people throughout that time of history, and we get a handful, a glimpse of what it looks like when God is actually with someone, and it's kind of impressive. I think it's impressive. Maybe you guys aren't impressed with the idea of some human being being able to lift up a stick and part a sea. I think that's kind of impressive. That's one tiny glimpse of what it looks like when God is with someone. 
Now, we have that history built up, and then a prophecy comes. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. <laughs> and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That word declares something new that did not exist before in history. And I'm going to show you that here. God could not be with us, mankind. He said so in Genesis 6, because of our identity, our state of being, because of our kind. You can only come after the kind that produces you. And our, our history, our lineage was sin, death, fallen. God could not be with us in the definition that we just looked at. Then a prophecy comes. There will be a child born. His name will be Emmanuel. He will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So that now we can understand why Jesus says you have to be born again. And what's crazy, I didn't realize this growing up because all this was so, I don't, it, I don't know the right phrase, but I just didn't connect it to reality. Being born again, it was a cliche to me for so long. But they actually tried to kill Jesus for this stuff. They're like, you're a heretic. We have to kill you because you can't talk about this, like being born again, being born of God. But those are the words he said. A child had to come so that we could be born of a different kind to where we are no longer, <laughs> we're no longer born of sin and death. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He uses the same phrase in Galatians 6 too. And that phrase in the Greek is very unique. And it actually means a new thing that did not exist before in history. There are different Greek words that Paul and Jesus use in their writings that, that describe something being refreshed or restored. Like when Jesus uh, heals the man who was missing a hand, it says his hand was restored to as the other one. Because he, at some point, had a hand, or he's supposed to have two hands. He didn't. It was restored. Paul talks about being refreshed when people visit him. Completely different words. This does not mean you were okay, but you had problems, and Jesus came to refresh you or restore you. He actually did not come to restore you. He came to make you a new creation, born of God, born of him. Because things can only reproduce after their own kind. So there was nothing that could be done when we were born of sin and death. Absolutely nothing. But then, a child is born to us, meaning God with us. And if we are born of him, we have eternal life. We have life everlasting. Now, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, we can worship in spirit because we do not expire anymore. That was the problem in Genesis 6. That was the technical problem that God saw. I, there can't be a connection here because they die. We've got to do something to change that. Behold, a child shall be born, and anyone born of him shall not perish. That means God is with you 
to an even greater degree than he was with Moses, to a greater degree than he was with Joshua or David or Samson or any of these heroes we read about. Now, when I think of that, this is the greatest day in history. Because without this day, okay, we can argue theologically about the cross, the resurrection, the birth, which one's greater. I, guys, they all, they, you can't have one without the other. Without the birth, there is no crucifixion. There's definitely not a resurrection then. And what's crazy, I don't have time to get into this. It's crazy how impossible it was for Jesus to be born and to fulfill all the prophecies of his birth. I'm sure a lot of you know this already. Even just the ones about where, where is he from? Well, there's prophecies about he's going to be born in Bethlehem, um, he's going to be a Nazarene, and he's going to be called out of Egypt. So there's three competing prophecies, you could say. And the, the, the Nazareth one's actually pretty cool because there's not a direct quote in the Old Testament for that. You actually have to see some really brilliant God Hebrew um, wordplay, not wordplay, but names and titles to find that prophecy. That's for another time. I want to read a couple of verses before we close out here. Because now, our kind is of Jesus. Our kind is no longer of Adam. When you've been born again, now if you're not born again, then this doesn't apply. But this is offered to everyone. In 1 Peter 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in the sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, Having been born again, past tense, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. In John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why he had to become flesh, because our flesh was the problem. He became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. In 2 Peter 1, 2-4, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he goes on to say that you, through these, may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Sometimes we hear a lot about sinful nature, and we don't really understand this concept of, oh, we are partakers of the divine nature. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world. 1 Corinthians one, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So what I want to leave us with, it was, it's easy for some of us to look at, well, because of the fall of Adam, we were fallen and sinful. Or even if you're not a Bible person, you can think, well, and I've, had so many of these conversations. My dad was a drunk. His dad was a drunk. His dad before him was a drunk. So guess what's in my DNA? We'll even get scientific studies to show us how more prone we are to sinful things or addictive things or whatever it is. We'll find scientific 
physical and psychological reasons to connect us to that, but then we have no idea the depth of, oh wait, I've actually died. And I've been born again. The sin and the pain in my family line, it's actually not in my family line anymore. My family line is of Christ. Amen? That's why there had to be a baby born. Amen. I'm going to pray very briefly, and then Pastor Tim's going to come up and close us out. I hope you guys have a blessed Christmas. And I hope that we don't just take this and absorb it for ourselves, but let's interact with our families on this level. Amen? Father, we thank you for your son, the gift of life that you have given, the power that you have placed in us through your spirit. Help us to see ourselves as dead to the old and alive to the new through Christ, your son, Emmanuel. Amen. Uh, being born again and um, coming into a different uh, identity. If somebody's out here today and they're hearing maybe for the first time in a language they could understand because you were very articulate, how would they do that? Can you, can you lead them in that direction and just have a, have a prayer with them? Would you? Let's do this. It can be very nerve-wracking to let go of old things when they're all that you've known even if they're bad like at least it's something but you have to die in order to live and that seems very contradictory but i can tell you that's the only way to have life and you can not believe the bible you can whatever it is that's the reality and so if you are one of those people that wants to experience that, that wants to be born of a different kind, to be born again and born into something new. Or let me put it this way. If you don't want to end up like all the people in the past, dying in sin and death, because for all of us, without Christ, death is the end. Without Christ, I don't care how good you are or how terrible you are, how great your life was or how miserable your life was, at some point you're going to die unless you're born of Christ. And then his life gives you life everlasting and eternal. Not just someday in heaven, because remember, and I'm sorry if I'm going too long with this, but remember, God being with someone is not just someday in heaven you get to have a mansion in glory. It is right now there's a sea in front of you, and I'm going to help you part it. It's right now there's death in front of you, I'm going to show you how to bring life to it. That's what the Father does. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, and I invite anybody to pray with me. Now, if you don't want to do it in the group setting, if you don't want to do it out loud, if you want to find me later and have a conversation, honestly, right now, it doesn't matter to me how or where or why. What matters is the birth. I don't care if it was a home birth, a hospital birth, a midwife, or whatever it was, the point is the birth happens. So God, I am sorry for the sin that I've committed I recognize that my identity is full of sin and death. And there's nothing that I could do to change that. But you sent your son to take on a physical body, not just to be a spirit, not just to be up in heaven, but to physically become a human being so that I could take part in his life. 
So I repent from all the sin. I repent from all the wrong things that I've done in that old state of being with that old identity. And I turn to you knowing that you are the only one that can save. You are the only one that can bring new life. I confess that you are Lord, that you are the creator, that life begins with you. I thank you for your sacrifice of dying on the cross to take my sin, and I receive it and accept it in the name of Jesus, knowing that from this moment on, I am born of you, so help me to walk in that life and teach me what that looks like. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.